My name is Anda Ginska, and this is Pros and Content. I'm the co-founder and CEO of Notch, a digital content intelligence platform. I'm a massive data nerd who's fallen in love with storytelling. And so on the Pros and Content podcast, we will be featuring a series of really incredible leaders who believe in storytelling and who have different perspectives on the importance, measurement, scalability, and optimization of storytelling. Today on Pros and Content the grand finale of our COVID-19 roundtable series. Across 10 weeks, Anda Gonska and Rachel Tipograph met with dozens of marketing and business leaders and covered a lot of ground about navigating the uncertainty that we continue to face. Today, we close our roundtables, but the conversations will live on. As such, we talk about the road ahead. This crisis has forced consumer behavior and business operations to evolve and innovate. As marketers, we must plan for uncertainty. We must go back to our brand's core values and pinpoint what really makes them tick. Because if this crisis has shown us anything, it's that the best way to move forward is to lead with authenticity and empathy. This roundtable was recorded on May 21st, 2020. We hope you enjoy and thank you for listening. thank Anda because really this is the brainchild of Anda and I'm just the person in the little motorcycle car that gets to ride along. Um, but it's, been, no, but it's been amazing. Like the people that we brought together, the conversations that we've had, this is our 10th one. That means we did 20 hours of webinar, uh, which is a lot of content. And I know, you know, we get the letters every day, the impact that we've made. Um, it's been quite special. So this won't be the last time that you hear from Anza and I, but we uh, feel like taking a break from this conversation will actually make future conversations stronger in a few weeks. So you'll see us uh, unite again, but we've covered a lot of ground together, Anza. I know. Um, And I think it's been actually, you know, if nothing else, emotionally helpful for us to navigate this time together. It's, it's been a forcing function to bring a lot of the best minds of the industry together and I guess make all of us feel a little bit less alone and a little bit less crazy. Um, I've definitely made a lot of decisions um, around the things that I heard on the webinar. And so I, I appreciate the fact that you decided to organize this with me. Thank you, Rachel. I'm an introvert. I, I would not be able to do this without you. You bring the energy and the vibe to the forum. Um, and so on that note, I know you have a lot of things to share. Some of the things that we've heard in the last 10 weeks. So I'll pass it over to you because you'll do a much better job. Yeah. So um, thanks to Team Micmac for pulling some of the points that have come out of the prior nine sessions. For folks who've been with us, This will be a refresher for new folks. Here's a little summary. So, um, you know, we've covered a lot of ground, but I think the consistent themes have been that we've talked about how to navigate uncertainty. And we've all decided that that is critical for us to be successful in our roles as individual contributors as well as leaders. But to do that, we have to focus on controlling what we can, making decisions that need to be made, be flexible and plan accordingly. And that the leaders who will quote unquote win coming out of this are leaders who lead with empathy in addition to driving the business. And I think one of the things that we've all learned over the last 10 weeks is that as marketers, we have to start making multiple strategies, meaning we don't know what can happen in the future and you need to now have a plan A, B, and C. 
From a content standpoint, which obviously we've been talking a lot about since you know our friends at Notch are here with us, it's about ensuring that you're going to market with authentic messaging. And to do that, you have to go back to your brand's purpose or core. And that resonates also with internal communications. We heard a lot about how marketers are communicating internally. And then more in my universe with e-com, you know, consumer demand for e-commerce is accelerated by five years, which means now brands have to accelerate their plans by five years. We heard a lot about that over the last few weeks. So um, that was my summary. Did I miss anything? Um, I think the only other piece that I'd mention is, um, you know, as we've navigated these topics over the course of the last 10 weeks, I feel like we started when the bomb just got dropped and everyone was trying to figure it out. And it, we were all quite reactive. And over the last 10 weeks, I've kind of observed as everyone has become actually a lot more strategic and actually data driven in how they're thinking about the second half of the year. And so I'm excited today we have a few different industries on the line and I'm excited to hear not only what the predictions are around how we think about marketing, but also what does it mean for these different industries. Um, I'm excited we have three major car brands on the line and I'm excited to hear from them what are they seeing in China and in Europe um, so that we can all kind of live a little bit in the future. So yeah, I just, I kind of want to make today about the road ahead and uh, what we think is going to, to happen in the second half of the year. So on that note, I know you want to introduce our first speaker, so I'll pass it over to you. Yeah, so before I bring up our first incredible speaker, uh, rules of the road here, we are going to take questions from the audience. There's a Q&A function. Just put your question there and throughout the next two hours, Anda and I will pull from there and, and have this incredible group of leaders address them. And, and that really is the only rule. So with that, Miriam in the house, head of marketing at Nextdoor. So excited to have you. Thank you for having me. It's nice to see everybody. It's nice to be with other people in, the, in this new reality. Uh, absolutely. Um, so I mentioned to you before we started, I've been thinking of you because you came from the travel industry. And now you're in the, I guess you would categorize next door as social network, technology, community enabling space. Um, and so I'm thinking about that transformation from a leadership standpoint and just your, your relevance right now. I feel like next door has actually been in more headlines than ever before. And you're only a few weeks into your role. Yeah, I started the role February 3rd. Um, so I had three weeks, one week in San Francisco at headquarters, one week in Europe because we're an international company, and then um, one week in the New York office where I'm technically based before I started working from home. So now Chelsea in New York is basically my um, home flash office. Um, and yeah, you know, the thing that's interesting about Nextdoor and the reason I ended up deciding to join Nextdoor was because their purpose was really to cultivate kindness and create neighborhoods people could rely on. And I like to tell the story. We've lived in Chelsea um, minus the four years we moved to Chicago for the global um, Hyatt job. Um, when we moved into the neighborhood in Chelsea 20 years ago, I, ha I had just had my firstborn, and I joined the Neighborhood Block Association. And in fact, I joined as the secretary of the Block Association, which, you know, when I say these words out loud, my teenagers, well, actually, they're like 18 and 21. They just roll their eyes. Um, and really, for me, I sort of always believed that it mattered to not just 
say something, but be willing to act. And I thought, you know, knowing my neighbors and being involved and caring and willing to act made a difference. Interestingly, um, this block in Chelsea is the longest running block association in the history of New York. So these were hardcore activists and it was sort of a lovely way to get introduced to the neighborhood and to the history. And, you know, Chelsea is obviously transformed um, in the last 30 years. So you know, I think the idea of knowing the people near you and yet having sort of connective tissue that was um, wider as a kid who grew up all over the world, you know, I sort of um, loved being connected globally, but also very locally. And I think the thing about Nextdoor is it was created to connect you to your nearby neighbors with the idea of leveraging technology, but really with the goal of connecting you in person, mm. right? So it was really an enabler that was intended to get you to know the people next to you so that you would actually meet them. And really a Pew study had come out that said increasingly more of us didn't know our next door neighbors. And so that's what prompted the founding of this company. And so what's fascinating is that now all of a sudden knowing your neighbors comes into real relief because um, as is the case often in pandemics, which we've experienced before, but not quite to this degree in a global scale in our lifetimes, is the people next door to you are the ones who are gonna be able to come to your aid, right? And so um, it's been fascinating to see how that's played out um, in my 100, about 100 days on, on the job. Yeah, um, so I imagine like when you were entering the job, first 100 days, your plans were like meet my team, learn the business, figure out what we need to optimize. But instead this pandemic happens. So what has been the shift in focus in terms of the marketing strategies at Nextdoor during this time? Yeah, well, um, I, so, you know, that, that's sort of the interesting thing is that, you know, you come in and really, you know, if you've been around enough, you know that the deal is you have to listen and learn for your first 90 days, you're not supposed to be ripping off Band-Aids. Um, and so I don't think that changed in the sense that I, I really did spend time trying to understand what was happening. And I did have to do a 90 day view to the board. So, you know, you have that stream of work that happens regardless of the environment that you're in. And yet three weeks in, all of a sudden, you know, everybody was working around the clock, right? Everybody was focused on meeting the immediate need of consumers as they showed up of our neighbors, really. And I categorize neighbors as your next door neighbors, your local businesses, your, um, public agencies like the police, the World Health Organization. So um, it was really, um, I think one of the things having done a lot of purpose work for the last 20 years is that a lot of companies say they're purpose driven. And in moments like these, you actually learn whether that is in fact um, sort of just words on a card that people carry or in fact true, right? And I think one of the things that was super interesting was that people were really living their purpose. And, you know, in a lot of ways, that's a gift because that actually gets you to focus not on yourself and sort of um, the stress and anxiety that you might feel in the current situation, but on how you meet the needs of others. And that actually in some crazy way is a stress reducer because you're actually just being useful, right? And there is something about being useful. Um, and fascinatingly, pretty early on on the platform, we began seeing people wanting to be useful to others, right? So the incidence of people saying, how can I help? How can I run groceries? I'm able-bodied, mm -hmm. um, really increased exponentially by, you know, the third week um, mm -hmm. that I was on the job. And, and that really then drove the design team and the product team and the engineering team to think about other ways that they would iterate the platform to meet that need real time, right? Um, and so, I think it's it's twofold, Rachel. You know, on the one hand, yeah, there are things that change, like you bring product to market much faster. I mean, 
um, I've been speaking to lots of different people when I have a minute, and everybody talks about how incredible innovation has been, right? People have been able to pivot and move much faster than they ever thought possible. Um, when you have this really urgent need, and I say to people all the time, this is a real thing that's happening. It's not just a plan that somebody put together. People are dying, right? So um, the impact is real. So that was an incredible motivator for lots of people to figure out how to pivot their business. And on the same time, you still have the things that happen in the background, which is you have a board meeting and you got to give them a 90-day view as to what you're seeing and what the road ahead looks like um, as best as you can. From a marketing investment standpoint, at, like I imagine demand for Nextdoor has skyrocketed. Mm -hmm. So does that mean you pull back on marketing spend because it's organically happening or do you elevate it? Like how have you thought about investment in the brand during this time? You know, I think for, for sure daily active users and the number of people who were maybe um, sort of on the platform but not engaged has really just skyrocketed, right? So that that is definitely a reality. On the flip side, yeah, it is an opportunity to think about your mix and think about whether you pull back on paid and lean into organic. But also for us, it's about what do we actually begin to do more product marketing and brand marketing? So Nextdoor hasn't hysterically done, historically done tons of brand marketing. Um, you know, I tell people in the company all the time, particularly as we're headquartered in California, in San Francisco, people in San Francisco know Nextdoor. When you get closer to New York City, less people know Nextdoor, right? So there is really still an opportunity for us to let people know that we exist from a brand perspective. Um, so, you know, sometimes it's more of a shift rather than just totally throttling down um, yeah. in terms of uh, paid versus organic. And, you know, you're, you're known to be one of the, like, strongest minds in the CMO community. And so I just want to pick your brain in terms of what you think will be forever changed about marketing because of COVID? You know, I think when you live through something like this, where how you behave makes actual difference, right? Like real meaningful difference. I say to people all the time when they want to come onto the platform, it's like, this is not the time for platitudes or, you know, pretty videos because people actually have a real need to be met. And so I think there was an instinct for some people originally to just go dark, right? And to say, okay, in marketing, we're going to just start saving because also, you know, things aren't always um, great financially. But being there in a time of need is something people remember. And then how you show up, right? How do I not just show up to say I'm supporting, but actually do it in a way that adds real meaningful value? That I think is a thing that when you experience it and you see the, the results of that, right? You don't actually show up thinking, oh, that's going to benefit me because frankly, you're just meeting the need in that moment. But, but I do think people become loyal as a result of that kind of a behavior. And when you experience that, I think it becomes a self It's like its own viral loop. So I do think that that will change how um, we think about marketing moving forward because you know, you actually have to meaningfully be able to add value. I mean, and an interesting thing that happened for us pretty early on is that Walmart reached out to us. And one of the things about Nextdoor is that you really only see your own neighborhood. So for me, I see Chelsea and I see the greater Greenwich Village, right? I don't see Marin or any place else. Mm -hmm. um, but everybody has to be verified. So getting on the platform isn't simply like a click. You actually have to be verified. So we know that you are who you are and that you live where you do. So it's very hyper-local and there's a high trust factor. 
So um, pretty early on when we saw all these people wanting to help each other and people who needed help, the team actually created a help map. It was a map that used to be one we used for trick-or-treating where people would pin themselves on the map so that you could figure out where the houses were to take the kids for trick-or-treating. They took that and they re-skinned um, that so that you could actually pin yourself so that you could say, I'm on 21st and between 9th and 10th so that people could actually visually see who was closest to them when they needed help or when they were offering help. And so, um, you know, that along with group functionality was really as a result of the organic behavior that, we're see that you were seeing show up by um, neighbors on the platform. So then, you know, Walmart came in and they said, you know what, we'd love to figure out how to partner with that. And for them, um, it was twofold. They wanted to pin themselves where they had stores on the map so that people could then say, I'm going to do a run at Walmart. Can I help run groceries for you? Because either you can't get out or because... Um, you're homeschooling your kid and I can actually do that errand for you. It was twofold. One, they were giving information that was vital to people, like their hours um, and information that um, consumers needed, but it also reduced traffic, foot traffic in store when you were really trying to socially distance, not just for your guests, but for the people who were showing up to work there, right? And so it's that kind of a thing that I think we're going to see more of, like um, I think, Anda, you were saying about being data-driven, right? It's like that data where you can actually get hyper-local and get that information to people in, in a proximal fashion is going to be something I think that we will continue to see because I think local is going to really be the thing, right? I think we're going to come out of this on the other side really connected um, to yeah. our local communities. Yeah, we, um, we had the CMO of Zillow on, so we talked a lot about local. Uh, I love that insight increase the average order value, but decrease footsteps. Uh, yeah, right. It's twofold. Yeah. And so it's, it's been amazing to watch that, um, to, to actually watch that play out. Well, thank you. If folks don't have Nextdoor downloaded, download it. Um, you know, when you talk about future brand opportunities, I always say that Nextdoor is, is going to blow up in that sense. But uh, I'm very excited to see you at the helm of it. So thank you. Thank and you for having me. Of course. Anda, who is next? Well, I was thinking about how I could create an offer from uh, the company of the next speaker. If you, if you guys don't have an Audi, definitely buy an Audi immediately. <laughs> but no, sorry, buy a Ford, buy a Ford. <laughs> no, you can, I, I, we, we're going to have three different cars on, on the line today. So I have to be very impartial. Uh, I will not declare my personal preference. Um, so Tara, welcome. It's so great to see you and so great to have you on. Great to be here. Thank you for having me. So uh, you joined Audi about a year ago, and you're a total outsider to the auto industry, which is, is actually quite uncommon. I feel like a lot of the folks that I meet in the auto industry have really grown within the auto industry. Um, and you came in as the comms leader of Audi in North America. Um, and when the crisis hit, I remember you told me that you basically were put in charge of the task force that would then communicate with everyone internally but I'm assuming also everyone externally. So I'm curious, kind of a two-layer question. I'm curious, how did it feel for you to kind of come in from the outside uh, in, and then two, to be in charge of this crisis uh, and the communications around it and the projects around it, especially as an outsider to this industry? Yeah, well, you know, it, it was definitely one of the things that was appealing to me about joining Audi was the fact that, you know, the auto industry 
um, was expected to change more in the next, you know, five to 10 years than it had changed in the, you know, 100 years before. So me coming in with an outside perspective, I think, you know, that was definitely why I was hired to bring in just a, a different perspective, uh, some different experience and to mix things up a little bit. So to blend with a team that, you know, had a great background in automotive, but um, for me to kind of um, challenge the way we were doing things and offer a fresh perspective. So um, I came in right away before COVID-19, where we had a lot of grand plans about all the things we were going to innovate and how we were going to do things differently. And obviously, um, COVID-19 throws a whole new element into the mix of how you manage all that. Um, and I think, and I can talk a lot about this, I think it's the blend of you know, the realism and identifying the challenges and being really honest about what those are in a time like COVID-19, but, you know, being equally as optimistic and looking at the opportunity that it creates as well to listen, like you can't do the way things the way you always did them before. So um, it helps bring a lot of people along who, you know, it's, it's easy to keep doing things in a way that they've worked for a long time. Um, but now when you can't do that, you bring everyone aboard to try new things and be able to like test and learn and be able to uh, take chances on things, which has been an exciting time, even amidst like a pandemic that's happening. So on one hand, I, I you know, lots to talk about there, but also lots to talk about on the, on the crisis front and managing that workforce for sure. I feel like most, most days I'm, I, I keep repeating this. It was the best of times, it was the worst of times. Because um, yeah. every day feels like some type of uh, intense journey between those two extreme data points. Um, as, you, as you kind of were brought on board to be this change agent, not to say that this crisis can really be good in any way, but, but to some extent to kind of play with that idea, what are some of those behaviors that you wanted to see happen internally that you think this crisis has really helped accelerate? Yeah, well, I think there's a couple of really good examples. Um, you know, from a from a team perspective, I think you could look at you know a time like this where you know everyone has those budget conversations and starts having to prioritize activities, and people need liquidity in their business, so you start being challenged with some of those asks. And you know, you can look at that from a negative perspective of oh, what's being potentially taken away or you know reprioritized. Or you could look at that as an opportunity of, okay, how are we going to get really scrappy, really creative here? Um, and I think with my, you know, immediate team, what I saw because we brought a lot of positive energy to it is more collaboration than we had ever seen before. Um, people getting really excited about being able to bring new ideas and execute them right away. So, you know, whether that was little things that people were doing that they can execute literally without even a budget. So things like creating Audi coloring books and Zoom backgrounds and all the little things that you could quickly turn on. But people felt, wow, I can, you know, quickly do something that makes a difference. Um, we looked at things like we can, you know, it's very uh, a historic practice in the auto industry to leverage your fleet. And we quickly shuffled and looked at how we were leveraging our fleet a lot differently. Um, we, and, you know, instead of doing these one-off loaners, we were, how could we make this a more meaningful use of the fleet? So we did a little, a lot of philanthropic work. And I think that'll forever change how we leverage the fleet going forward. Um, but then you look at more of these strategic topics like, 
you know, in our business, we were set for a transformation to move into the electric vehicle space. So by 2025, our plans had always been to have 30% of our vehicles be electric. Um, but now when you go through COVID-19, it's bringing up these other elements of having people look at electric in a new way. So um, from a sustainability perspective, for example, we've all seen the stories of, you know, reduced air pollution um, down to a personal level of, you know, I know I've never appreciated going for a walk outside and feeling more connected to nature than I ever did before now that I kind of can work out of a home office. Um, so I've also never felt more pride when I can be driving, you know, my e-tron around and feeling like, you know, I can make a big contribution that way. Um, I think also from, you know, a strategy perspective, we were always looking at, you know, how do we, with electric vehicles being new, emotionalize that story for people. But one of the new things that has come up is just the sense of control also that people are after and what an EV could provide in that sense. So the fact that you can plug in at home, you don't have to, um, you know, go to a gas station, that you are able to have that control. It's like, the same feeling that people feel when they stock up of their two weeks of groceries, the fact that you can recharge your car at home, is a, it's a whole new level of giving consumers, again, just another element of control in a situation where they feel like they have a lack of control. Yeah. So there's other parts of the story that are coming to life. I don't know if this is only a New York thing, but I mentioned this to you on the phone that so many people I know are now really wanting to buy car, a car more than ever yeah. before. Um, and I think it goes back to control, but also to, to the idea that Mariam was talking about, about just being local and traveling yeah. locally. Um, so I'm curious, as you guys think about, I'm going to ask everyone who's, who's you know, in the auto industry, uh, this, as you guys think about creative, um, how do these notions of control, of staying local, how are they starting to show up and does does it mean that you're going to have a much more intense paid presence in the second half of the year? Yeah, you know, I think I was talking about the fleet before in the programs we're going to do. I mean, you you touched on it. I think in the industry now, we have a lot of um, people who are a little hesitant with um, mass transportation, for sure. And you have a lot of people that may not be doing the same level of global travel that they were doing for a little bit of time. And there's this um, desire that'll come back. We're seeing kind of the reemergence of that summer road trip, um, the idea of wanting to kind of explore your local area. So I think in a lot of what we do, um, a lot of the content we bring to life is like, how do we get that, you know, the auto industry has always um, given a lot of real life experiences and we've done a lot of real in real life experiential events. And now we have to look at how do you take that and how do you create kind of not just some content that lives on social or that you can virtually share with people, but how do you get to like the depth of the experience? How do you make it kind of an exploratory journey? And that's going to be content that, you know, um, has a very much a local feel, has a, you know, high emotional feel. And again, doesn't just um, present people with content, but how are you getting them to feel like they're experiencing that content? Hundred percent. I love. I love how many times you said content and emotion. <laughs> <laughs> so one more question for you, Tara. As you as you look at Europe and uh, and Asia, 
what are you, what are the data points that you're, what are kind of the signals that you're really listening to, especially as it comes to how you're forming your comms and marketing strategy? Yeah, it's, it's great. You know, this is one of the times where it's so beneficial to be part of a global company so that you can be talking to colleagues in different markets who may be, you know, a little more advanced in their timing of where they are in this um, pandemic. So, you, you know, there's lots of best practices of how, you know, we're transforming the industry to take more of the car buying experience online, a lot of lessons from China on that front. Um, obviously very different markets. So when you look at how they're handling the pandemic, how we are handling the pandemic, the fact that in the US, you know, you mentioned the task force before when it comes to communications, even with employees, you know, how we return to the space, how we, you know, adopt remote working, you have to look in the US at not only, you know, federal mandates and state mandates, but it's county mandates and it's there's a lot of complexity. So we get, you know, a bit of an indication from China and Europe about, you know, best practices they've put into place, but then you have all these interesting dynamics and complexities of being in the US. You know, our business, we have um, 60 offices in 20 states. So any communication to folks, there are, you know, some consistent messages of how we want to approach and handle these times, but then it has to be so customized to what you're going to do kind of in each office based on, you know, what's happening in the community there. That makes sense. Well, thank you so much, Tara. Really appreciate you sharing your thoughts. Uh, please stay on because we're going to jump into a Q&A soon. But uh, next up is Rachel to introduce the poll of the day. All right, let's pull up this poll. So everyone, please vote. How are you reshaping your marketing budget for the rest of 2020? Are you moving it all to digital? Digital. Are you moving part of it to digital? Are you cutting it partially? Or are you just keeping it the same? Let us know and we will reveal the results. Um, okay, team Not show us the results. Well, it seems like Folks are moving part of it to digital. Some are moving all of it. Some are cutting it. Kind of an even spread. What are they doing with the other part that's not digital? That's my question. <laughs> Direct mail. We're doing so much swag sending right now. It's interesting. My co-founder still doesn't allow me to do swag, so I need to fix that. I'm telling you, remember the last time I saw him, I'm like, you're wrong with this stuff. I know. Trust me. He's a hipster. I don't know what to do. He's just like very much against the grain. So, <laughs> but I like your sweatshirt. Show it to everyone. Always, always wearing Micmac. There we go. Um, okay. So excited to welcome Michael. Um, Michael and I met um, at a Forbes CMO conference a few years ago when he actually walked over to me and said, I've been to Transylvania, which is where I'm from. And I said, how the hell have you been to Transylvania? What did you do to deserve to go to Transylvania? And it sounds like um, you were actually working in that region. So, Michael, you've been in the automotive industry for how many years? Yeah, uh, 20 plus years. There we go. Um, and what actually, what, what was the automaker that brought you to Transylvania? Actually, I was working for Arthur Anderson at the time, which was a global accounting and consulting firm. Uh, so I was there back in uh, the early 90s, 93 through 95. So a and you time for Romania. Were you there to check out Dacia, the local car manufacturer? 
In fact, I, I actually owned an Aro, which was oh, yeah. uh, the Romanian version of an SUV at the time. Yes, it still exists. Still exists, yeah. It's actually a pretty good vehicle. Yes, I agree. So, Michael, um, when I first met you, you were at Kia, um, and you were running marketing as well as operations. Now you're at Ford, and you're running Lincoln um, in the Americas. Am I right? Yeah, uh, North America. So, uh, Canada, Mexico, and the U.S. Got it. So, I would love to hear from you. I know, you know, Ford um, has a big presence in China. I would love to hear maybe some of the things that you're seeing there and how those data signals are informing, how you're thinking about the reopening in the U.S., if at all. Yeah, great. So uh, I'm going to speak specifically to the Lincoln brand because uh, uh, China and the U.S. are our top two markets for the Lincoln brand, and that's what I'm most close to. Uh, and it's, it's interesting because we are learning a lot from them. Uh, they are about six weeks ahead of us in terms of uh, how consumers were using their vehicles or not using their vehicles uh, during the COVID pandemic. So we were able to learn a lot through the data that we uh, are capturing from our vehicles. So we could see quickly uh, a huge drop off in terms of vehicle usage. I mean, people basically just stopped using their vehicles. And as China started to pick up, you know, we were going into our, our trough uh, but now we're starting to come out of it. And it's really, we're basically following the same trend uh, that China followed. Uh, so it's been fascinating to watch. Uh, we learned a lot from them in terms of what consumers were looking for from a sales standpoint, because people had a lot of time on their hands. So they were going online to learn about the vehicles. Mm -hmm. So quick, we quickly developed a virtual showroom as more and more of our dealerships here in the United States closed or have limited ability to, um, to service customers. Uh, we, we had a, an experience center in Dallas that closed. We converted it to a virtual showroom. So customers could go online, schedule an appointment, and then have somebody, a sales consultant or product specialist, give them a vehicle tour on, uh, at their time, you know, when they wanted it. Uh, we also learned that customers, because they were sitting at home, they thought to themselves, boy, I've been neglecting to get my car serviced. I should really get it serviced, but I don't necessarily want to go to the dealership. So we had a, a, a service called Pickup and Delivery where a customer can go on to the Lincoln Way app and schedule an appointment. Somebody comes and picks up the vehicle, takes it back, gets it serviced, and then brings it back. So from a communication standpoint, we were getting ready to launch one of our all-new vehicles, the Corsair. We quickly changed the communications message to focus on our pickup and delivery service. Uh, again, another lesson that we learned from China in terms of what they were looking for. Uh, we also learned in terms of as the dealerships were coming back online, customers wanted to feel safe if they were gonna go into the dealership. And so we've provided all of our dealers with PPE type of equipment, the, you know, the, the glasses, the goggles, uh, the shields, the masks, a, a lot of uh, you know, disinfectants, things along those lines. Uh, the uh, shields that you can put up in, as barriers uh, as people are talking. So a lot of equipment to help our dealers get ready for when customers do actually come into the dealerships. But we also saw a significant number of people saying, I only want to purchase a vehicle online or remotely. So we were able to quickly to get our dealers to um, 
develop uh, or we had a software uh, system that uh, we had provided to them. They quickly got that up and running. We went basically from very few sales online end to end in, earlier this year to in May, we're at about 35% of our sales being online. So shift in another learning from China. So I hope you don't mind that I'm going to ask you this question, but it sounds like there's just so much more of this direct to consumer relationship that you are building as a brand. And of course the dealers are part of that. Do you think the world goes back to the system of dealers or do you think we just double down on this direct to consumer trend? Yeah, it's a great question and, and one that the industry has been facing for a really long time. But when we look at the importance of, of what that dealer serves for the customer, remember the, these vehicles are highly complex machines. It's, it's not so easy just to give somebody the keys to a new vehicle and say, hey, good luck, have at it. There's so much technology now into these vehicles. It still requires that human to human interaction to help demonstrate uh, all of the features and benefits of these vehicles. A lot of the safety technology uh, really needs to be explained so people can understand it. So they don't think that maybe there's something wrong with their vehicle once they drive it off the lot. So I still see the dealer playing an important role in that. Granted a lot of, you know, from the searching to submitting a lead to get a quote to the negotiation, a lot of that will still happen. But I think when the vehicle's actually delivered, there will be some sort of human connection uh, and the dealer will serve that. And then on the service side, you're always going to need to have your your vehicle serviced. So we still need to have our our dealers uh, fulfilling that role for our customers. That makes sense. Um, I know that there's this, uh, there's been this trend in China that you know the number of divorces has skyrocketed as a result of COVID, uh, and we've laughed about that. But do you see that the number of auto sales, the the just number of cars that get sold, has skyrocketed as well? And is it more of a V-shaped or a U-shaped recovery to the extent that you can share? No, it's uh, you know the the, the data is there um, publicly. We saw not just uh, Lincoln and Ford, but all manufacturers saw a huge drop in March. And the premium industry, which Lincoln plays in and, uh, and Audi does as well, we saw an even greater drop than mass market. Because if you think about it, a, a premium luxury buyer doesn't necessarily have to go out and buy a vehicle. A lot of mass market uh, consumers, they need those vehicles to help them get to their jobs uh, right. day-to-day basis. So, and so we're actually, uh, the, the premium industry is coming back slower than the mass market uh, industry is as well. Again, with the stock market, with COVID, with unemployment, a lot of people are just taking, you know, pause to say, I'm going to wait and see how this plays out. But we still expect by the end of the year, we won't get back to where we anticipated 2020 would be, but we're well on the trajectory to uh, improve sales significantly. That's really exciting to hear. So my final question to you is, how does that factor into your H2 marketing planning? Yeah, so uh, the, the vehicle that I mentioned earlier that we were just getting ready to launch, so we had to shift the launch timing to uh, the third quarter. Uh, so that wasn't something we had planned. And what we had planned to do in the third quarter is then being shifted as well. Uh, we're definitely 
uh, spending more time and effort in the digital space and developing content, particularly as people uh, continue to stay at home. The challenge we have is it's tough uh, not being able to go out and develop new content because of all of the uh, shelter-in-place activities. So it's requiring us at our agencies to be very creative, uh, relying on our, our customers as well to provide content as well that we could potentially use, relying on some of our partners like Serena Williams or, or Matthew McConaughey. You know, so a lot of other things that we wouldn't necessarily have planned, we're now pivoting and doing those sorts of things. That makes sense. Um, do you know Matthew McConaughey? Can I be friends with him? <laughs> I have not met him personally, but he's a great brand ambassador for I us. I know, I know. Every time I, I, re, I watch those ads, because I love Lincoln, obviously, but also because I want to see Matthew. <laughs> okay, yeah, thank if, you so if, much, Mike. If I could, now that you're in the Hamptons, you're going to need a vehicle. So I guess it's... Oh, there uh, we go. <laughs> between, between Tara and I, we're, we're going to have to... Uh, or maybe we can get the voters to... Uh, yeah, I was going to say, I'm going to fight you on that one. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I'm getting the sales pitch. Well, wait, I'm, I'm waiting for discounts. So maybe just DM me. <laughs> we'll do a bid. <laughs> there you go. Cool. Well, thank you so much, Michael. Um, Absolutely. Thanks for uh, inviting me. Of course. Um, Rachel, I'm going to turn it over to you. Um, I know we want to do a Q&A, but your call if you want to take on uh, the next speaker or jump into the Q&A first. No, I'm feeling the vibe for the Q&A. It's, it's time for okay. the grid. Let's do it. Okay, so we're going to go into grid view. Hi, Tarek. Good to see you. Um, okay, so Rachel, do you want to take the first question? Because I've been talking for quite a while. Yeah. Well, let's start a little broad. So uh, this is from anonymous attendee. What is one consumer need you've seen arise from this pandemic that you think is here to stay? A anyone from this Brady brunch want to start? Excessive toilet paper need. <laughs> I don't know where that came from, but <laughs> that was fascinating. <laughs> If I could just say one thing, the one thing I, I, I see is that the basic human nature for people to have some sort of relationship or some sort of contact with other people is really resonating. And I think we're seeing that with, you know, WebEx is great. We're doing a lot. We're much more efficient. But boy, our, our team members, our customers, our clients, they're, they're telling us, you know what, I still want some sort of human contact. You know, it's just part of basic nature. So I think we, we're going to have to balance that as, as we go forward, you know, to address the COVID issues, but also address the, the human nature issues. From a communications perspective, it's interesting because here we're, we're not in person, yet in some ways um, we're getting kind of a deeper connection into people. So you have kind of leaders of an organization and you get to see them in their home setting. You hear their kids in the background, you hear their dog. Um, and I think that um, connection into the other parts of people's lives becomes more important in leadership and in the communication um, realm. And that's internally for your employees, but that's also external facing as well. Um, and then just purely from a, from a customer um, delivery, it's interesting. I, I agree they'll want you know, those elements of those in-person um, engagements. 
but the, um, all the services that we're creating, such as, you know, we have Audi at your door and the kind of touchless delivery. So maybe the touchless part becomes a little less relevant when we have a vaccine, but that kind of instant gratification of getting in addition to, you know, all the trends we've been seeing for a couple of years now around delivery, but then all those other more traditional industries that didn't necessarily have that quite that level of delivery service yet, um, I think you'll see them continue to offer those elements in their mix. I have one other thing to add, which um, actually gives me a lot of worry for the, the future of the global economy. And it's that, um, that for a lot of the core services that we experience in our lives, it's going to take fewer people to do them. And businesses have been operating in a, in a, in a mode that is uh, kind of de-layered and, and deconstructed. And, you know, just my son is having um, uh, orthopedic surgery next week. And, and so we've had this combination of in-person examination and telemedicine. And, and when we spoke to the surgeon yesterday uh, via telemedicine, um, his assistant was on the phone and she was saying that they're serving as many patients as they used to, but it's alternating between virtual and physical because it's only physical when it has to be. Um, yet there are 75% uh, fewer people working in the office, right, that are needed to, to kind of run the operations, to make things tick, to make things hum. And I think that we're going to see this trend that a lot of businesses require fewer people to operate. And so then the big question is going to be, where do other um, business ideas in the economy open up that can create migrations of these workforces that are no longer needed to, to function? That's, yeah, that's a very provocative thought. Um, and how are we going to upskill all these workers in the new economy? I mean, Tarek, are you seeing the same thing? I'm, a huge part of Petco's business is services. So are you doing the same amount with fewer people? Like, how are you thinking about that? Well, we're reinventing. You're the same way you're hearing the automotive folks talk about changes around how you engage with customers. Uh, we will not have a training business that looks the same after this. Um, and that's probably not a bad thing, actually, because I think we're actually going to reinvent in ways that will make it actually, in some ways, even more scalable. So we're piloting right now virtual training. Right? The fact that I can't get into a store to meet with a trainer doesn't stop the puppy from chewing on my shoes and for me being frustrated and wanting to teach them not to. So we're we're launching a virtual component to that. And, 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 and the success of being able to do that ultimately could be a much larger scale business, frankly, as you, as you move into almost what is the Peloton model of a, of a dog trainer look like. That's a, that's a very different approach. I don't think we will go back from that. I think there will be elements of that that are meaningful, but I think these are driving all of us to create intervention that is not just about solving the media problem, but potentially gaining us insight to create even greater value for our, for our customers. Mm-hmm. I'm curious, just one more question that I want to throw out to everyone. Um, what do you think are the attributes of the companies that become stronger through this? And I'm not talking counter cycle companies whose products are going crazy right now. I'm talking like internal attributes of companies. Like, And in particular, I'm curious, do you guys think there's a marketing investment uh, that stays the same, that grows during this time? Or do you think that marketing doesn't really matter in, in uh, navigating? I mean, I, I know you're going to say it matters, but anyway, <laughs> I'm curious. How, how do you think of that as a, as a leading or lagging indicator of success? 
Yeah, I would say, obviously, those companies that are quick to recognize the issue and can pivot and change uh, either messaging, but also the products and services that they offer to consumers, I think will be those that are winning. You can see that with with the Walmarts and the Targets and the Amazons. I mean, how quickly they were uh, to address the, the issues that consumers had as the economy was shutting down. Um, th those custom, those uh, companies that I, I think that have the best um, consumer research departments that can really dig deep into all of the data that's out there in there so much and can glean those, uh, those really unique uh, ideas or thoughts and then convert those into products and services, the fastest will be the winners. I love that. Thank you. Yeah. And I would say at a high end, purpose has never been more important. Those companies that not only have their purpose defined, express that purpose in a meaningful way, um, work in service of their customers rather than simply try to sell them and, and innovate to add, add meaningful value and demonstrate that they've learned something. And then I think to your question about the role of marketing, I think it's more critical than ever, um, not just as a marketer, but actually beyond what marketing sphere has traditionally been. Um, I think we're going to play a very critical role across other parts of the operation, um, whether that's customer service, which I think is going to be more important than ever. And I think you're going to see the next phase of what customer support and customer service and customer care, true care actually starts to look like the role of using the data and being more next best thoughtful purchase support and thinking about how you support customers. And I think our sphere as marketers is just going to continue to expand to think about those things rather than just some of the external programming uh, approaches that maybe the investments done before. So customer service, storytelling slash purpose slash content. I'm just inserting those words because it serves me and, and data and very fast understanding of what the consumer wants and needs. Yeah, and I, I would add, you know, to reiterate what Rachel said in the beginning summary about, you know, resilience and empathy. Um, and I think leadership of organizations more important than ever before, um, bringing in talent that's resilient, creating a company that's adaptable. I mean, this, the pace of change, no way slows down. The complexity continues to grow. So people who kind of look at that through the lens of being really optimistic and see it as an opportunity, um, I think those are the companies that are going to succeed. And at a most basic level, I always say the most important thing is just like the connection to people. So whether that's your customer or your in internal employee, it's about, you know, being able to be vulnerable with people, understand like a deep level of empathy for not just identifying what their challenges are, but how people are feeling, what people are thinking and just relating to that, um, you know, that leadership is just more important than ever. My, my secret slash not so secret hope for the, this next generation of leaders is that this finally gives us the permission to actually be human and vulnerable and genuine and empathetic. Whereas I think the, the former generation of leaders was always expected to be infallible and strong and always know exactly what the right thing to do is. And um, I've appreciated the, the break from that stereotype that this crisis has created. Um, so thank you all. I'm gonna turn it over to Rachel now because she is going to interview our next guest. Yes. Over uh, to you. Well, Tarek, this is, part two of you and I on this webinar. Thank you for joining. So you were alluding to some of the innovation work that's happening at Petco. And 
virtual dog training. I mean, the, the Peloton of pets, that already feels like a multi-billion dollar opportunity. What else are you cooking on? Well, look, I think it's like a lot of the conversations that the folks were talking about, we're being led by, you know, how do you address the immediacy of the need? And so, you know, in the, in the analog to how the, the, you know, how you're addressing service on, on an automobile, we've also had to move quickly on certain things. We were already working on curbside pickup, but we are now national with that and, and ensuring that we're doing it. And now we're adding additional technology overlay to it to make sure that's a, a meaningful experience. So it's not just curbside, but how do you get just in time notification that the customer is there and create a process around that, right? Um, so those are things that we're, we're already working on. The training one is significant. Many of the medical analogs that you'll see that, that were, I think, ramping, but have really taken off during this. Uh, you know, if you think about Teladoc and how many of us have engaged now with medical practitioners via, you know, via Zoom technology, um, we're applying uh, much of that. Already were, but it's accelerating in terms of uh, what we're doing with veterinarian medicine and support for, for our customers. And, and that will be something that will continue to play in terms of it's been, it's been an accelerator. People have asked me, well, how has our strategy changed? It hasn't changed. It's actually accelerated what was our existing strategy to become a health and wellness company. Um, and this will allow us to exert um, how we support some of those things. And so, you know, using technology in a way that provides support for our customers uh, is just going to keep motivating us. And where did, like, this investment money come from? Like, I imagine in the Petco operating plan, you you probably had a shift budget from somewhere to accelerate these programs. Some of them, some of them were, were in pilot mode. And so it was, well, the pilot's good enough. Let's go. Um, and, and in some ways, I think one of the things that we've learned is how to get comfortable with expediency of learning um, in, in this environment. I think that is also something that was already happening, right? Of how do we use the data? But sometimes that data was slowing us down too. I think, um, in our case, there were a couple of examples where things that might have taken six months, you know, out of necessity and need for our customers took a week and we stood them up. And so some of them were uh, resource allocation. Other ones were, you know, all of us on a daily basis uh, and not just during an environment like this. It's a, it's a it's compound environment like this. Have to ask ourselves, what do you stop, start, continue, right? And so there's strategic decisions about what are things that made a whole lot of sense pre-COVID that might not have made sense during COVID or post-COVID. You, you, you put those things down and you reinvest accordingly to where it's going to add value to your customer. Mm -hmm. You know, when you were on last time, you talked a lot about um, your e-com business and how people were stocking up. Now that the stock up period is over, what's been the evolution of what consumers are buying for their pets? Well, look, I think, um, there's a couple dimensions that have gone and thankfully the business has continued to um, find our way through this, right? You know, no one's out there talking about, shouldn't say retail, anyone uh, talking about how you make your way through as opposed to you know, you're, you're being off the charts. Um, it's continued to grow our e-com business. There's dimensions of, of that e-com business like others that have continued to grow as well. So repeat delivery or subscription-based uh, re refill ordering has continued to increase. Understanding customer behavior has been one that's interesting in terms of that digital behavior. Um, and I guess I wasn't hugely surprised at this, but the data is now starting to come in to support it, which is that's actually transcending demographics too. Our most recent data is showing that, yes, your grandparents actually are figuring out how to do some of this shopping online and they are moving through the process of it. And so this, I think we had some biases that frankly uh, 
were, were not all that accurate. I think we're now seeing that those are being taken on. So we've seen an, an age up in some of those areas of, of usage. Um, but our brick and mortar business has continued to play a significant role, not only in terms of what people were doing in the stores that are open, but how we're using our buy online pick up in store. Um, and so they, that becomes one critical area. The other one that's been critical for us is um, the expansion of ship from store. Mm-hmm. And so using our stores as local and regional sort of dist- mini distribution centers has been a critical component of the e-com growth as well, right? Because it allows you to maintain your window of delivery period when people are needing it. And that's been really powerful for us. So where we've had competitors who have slipped to seven to 10 day windows of delivery, we've been able to, for the most part, maintain a two to three day delivery window for almost all of our categories. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, we do a lot of work in alcohol, obviously, as well as pets, but uh, something that we've saw in alcohol is the most important thing right now is delivery time. Yeah. Followed by price. Is, are you seeing that too? Look, I think price has always been somewhat of a, of a dimension in our category, but um, I think uniqueness of offering is, a, is also something that's a little bit different in our world. Um, so we do have a number of brands that are exclusive and unique to us. So that's continuing to provide value to us. Um, I think ease, convenience, and ability to, to how I want, when I want, the way I want uh, was important before this. I think it's just been, been expedited. Um, in our case, I think the other part of it is there's been a, a, a tremendous number of both new customer acquisition as a result of our ability to get things to folks. Mm-hmm. So now the question is, do you keep them? Mm-hmm. Um, we've also got a lot of new parents. Um, you and I were chatting before this, uh, this started, and you know there is upwards of half a million new pet families through this period. Um, we thought we might have a crisis on our hands, and instead – you know, Americans stepped up and cleared shelters. They either adopted or fostered um, these pets. And now the opportunity for us is to turn those fosters into failing fosters and into full-time pet parents, as we call them, when we convert them from foster to adoption. Um, and that is a real opportunity to support them. That's crazy. Yeah. It's, wow. it's actually tremendous. We thought we were going to have a real issue on our hands. And it, try and adopt or foster a pet right now. It's not an easy thing to do. The shelters are, you know, they a tremendous amount of support. No, absolutely. Um, let's talk about how you're managing the overall like marketing team. So headquarters, San Diego, but you've always been someone who's bouncing between New York and San Diego. Now everyone's remote 10 weeks in. How has your work culture evolved? Um, I'm really proud of how it's evolved. I think um, I think all of us tell stories of um, how necessity creates, you know, seamless transition. All the things we thought we couldn't possibly do that when you have to, you, you find a way to do them. Um, and I'm really proud of, of how not only the marketing organization, but our company has evolved. We just recently did a sentiment study with our employees to find out how they were, how they were managing and um, I got to tell you, I was shocked um, and happily so to see just how high the numbers were on the belief that they were able, able to collaborate effectively, the, the belief that they were able to be effective and efficient. Um, some real important factors that I thought would have, you know, would have been good, but I didn't, they were really strong. Um, and I think, um, you know, people have, have found the way to, like I say, innovate and move through it. And I, whoever was talking about earlier, I think this has brought down the wall of not only brand vulnerability, but human vulnerability of leadership in the way that we, we work. And I think that's 
something I do hope stays irrespective of whether that goes back into a physical office environment or whether that continues to be from a, a virtual perspective. I, I hope we get to continue to maintain that kind of human and authentic perspective of each other, our lives, and what we're able to bring, bring into the work we do. You know, the fact that the headquarters is in San Diego and California seems to be reopening like a bit more quickly than New York. Are there talks about return to work? And if so, what does that look like? You know, anyone that's doing it will tell you the complexity and you guys of your own businesses, the complexity of no matter how fast a market is opening or not opening, the, everything from the physical environment you're dealing with. Do you have elevators? Do you not have elevators? How many people, in the, what's the construct of your, it's not an easy conversation to have. It's really simple for us. We won't do it until we, we know that there is a safe way to do it. And, and part of that safe way to do it will be our employees' comfort with it. And it's something we're also measuring and having conversations with the employee base around. Um, now in retail, that's a, a balancing act because we have this really strong emotional pull to get back to work because we have partners that are in 1,500 stores every day. Um, but, the, but the reality is the, the corporate environment has a very different footprint, has a lot more people in it, et cetera. So it comes with dynamics that our stores don't, but it creates a real sort of camaraderie to want to lean in and, and, and be there and be present. Um, we're erring on making sure that we follow through uh, in, a, in a safe fashion. And I don't see us uh, taking any immediate steps in the immediate future to, to bring people back uh, just yet. Um, well, you're a returning member to this. We're so appreciative. If there's one thing that you hope marketers carry with them from this experience, what do you, what do you hope it is? Well, I'm a marketer, so I'll go with two. I never stick with just being into like I only have one. One would be on the personal front. It goes, it goes back to one thing we already talked about, which is allow the humanity to continue to be present. But the other one I would actually bring to is the marketing community. I have loved watching what has always been present in this community, but I think has really become reflective, which is our shared commitment to each other as a community. The way like moments like you guys have brought together, which I think is great. There have been really small, intimate ones to really large ones. And I think um, we have all discovered that marketing is a collaborative sport outside of our own brands. And we're all so much better when we can kind of collide with each other. And I've loved it. And I hope that absolutely is something we continue to do is pick up the phone, remain, you know, connect with each other, be on Zoom, talk to each other, share, learn together, fail together, um, collaborate in unique ways than we ever thought we would. And I think that's something that will remain, I hope, does. Mm -hmm. that's, that's beautiful. And I've seen it happen here and elsewhere. Uh, so in complete agreement. Well, thank you for joining us for round two. We're very appreciative. My pleasure. Thanks for having me. And uh, Anda, who is next? Um, so next up, very excited to welcome Michael from Wells Fargo, who is also here for the second time. Hi, Michael, and welcome back. Hi. Thank you for having me. Of course. I can't wait to hear everything that's happened since we last talked. I'm sure some of it has been hard and I'm sure some of it has been really interesting and hopefully also positive. Um, before I jump into some of the things that you shared last time, just give us a sense at a high level, how has your thinking evolved? Yeah. So first of all, I just um, wanted to mention that I'm learning so much from the other panelists on, on the, the, in the conversation. So I think I'm getting more out of it than maybe I'm giving <laughs> some level for sure. And I'm also coming to you from my 13 year old son's room. That's why 
That's why he, he has the coolest, most comfortable chair in the house. So I've kind of uh, taken it over for for our discussion, just to uh, so I can so I can maximize my. I comfort. was going to ask, what's up with the what's up with the chair and the basketballs? <laughs> Everything, right? The whole vibe. So, well, you know, what's changes. You know, one of the things that we were in the middle of was was managing all of the urgent communications to get out to different types of customer relationships that we had on a very quick basis, right? So small business customers needed information about the Paycheck Protection Program. You know, mass customers needed information about how and when to expect their government checks. Um, mortgage customers that may have lost their jobs needed, needed help with how they were going to navigate through forbearance and, and how we were going to make that easy. So it was this you know, super crisis mode of rapid turnaround to communicate with our customers. And one of your survey questions at, the, at that time was, how do you think that we're doing in the communication of our customers? And I, and I, I had said, I think we were maybe a five or a six out of 10. And, uh, and in part, that was just because it was, it was so overwhelming and, and we had seen some data that, that we weren't quite breaking through. But, but last week, we saw some information from J.D. Power, who had surveyed our customers and our competitors' customers, asking specifically during the crisis, have you heard from your, your bank? Is the information valuable? Are you getting it in the right kind of cadence? And we were 10 percentage points higher than our closest competitor in, in all the major categories. And, and a lot went into that, right? So a lot of it was the ability to make rapid cycle decisions, the ability to deploy in our own channels, um, the, the customer centricity in the way that we crafted the communication. But another major lever was within our technology stack, which was the ability for us to use our own first party data to reach our customers in a very segmented way in paid media. And what we learned was that we expanded our reach, the reach of our total customer base with this technology by 20 to 25%. And so just being able to virtual, virtual being able to reach more people helped a lot in terms of us being able to break through with the important information. Wow. That's really interesting to hear. How, um, how did you, I guess, lead up to those decisions? I'm assuming the decisions around some of the platforms that you are using um, and the data that you have were obviously not made during the crisis. So right. Yeah, you know, this is something that's that's been evolving over the last five years. And you know, three years ago, we put in a data management platform. We we built a lot of infrastructure to make it possible, and we have been using at scale about about half of our media spend this year uh, will be using first party data to reach our own customers or suppress our own customers, depending on the nature of what we're trying to do. Even though our media spends tripled since then. And so we never imagined that crisis communication would be, it wasn't the primary use case that we built it on, uh, but it turned out to be one of the major levers for us to break through. Interesting. Uh, last time you were on, you said um, you're doubling down on content making, I don't know if, I can't remember if you said twice as much or three times as much. How has that evolved? Well, uh, well, it's a good question. Um, it's, it's, it's primarily been centered around the, the urgent need to communicate what's, what's happening in the world and, and help our customers be successful, right? Um, depending on the nature of the relationship that we have with them. But what we've, what we've been pivoting towards now because the, uh, the house is on fire nature of this crisis is maybe behind us a little bit. It doesn't mean that people aren't going to continue to hurt and and, and lose jobs and have, and have, have needs, but, but, the, but the volume and the weight of it is a little different now. 
And so what we're focused on is, you know, one, business by business, how and when and where are we going to re-enter the market to the extent that we pulled back? Um, and, and how does the brand need to show up in order to be successful, both, you know, showing the, the appropriate level of cultural awareness and sensitivity to what's going on, um, as well as relevance, right? And, and one of the biggest challenges of this, there are really kind of two, is that the, the nature of how um, the, the COVID experience has been, you know, happening for people is very different by geography. You know, 80% of the infections are in 11 states. And so if you're in New York, it's very different than if you're in South Carolina. Um, and, and, you know, we've, we've been thinking about, for example, in our checking business, we have a couple of work streams that we've got going on. One that's, that's scheduled to happen in July and one that was a, kind of a later timeframe in September. And, and we had this insight, right, that we thought that, you know, this was going to be the moment in time where people, as the, as the economy opens up, would begin to celebrate these little victories of getting pieces of their life back, right? Because they've been in lockdown for so long in many places. So um, for all the parents that have been homeschooling, um, maybe the fact that their children are going back to school in the fall would be like, oh, it's a little bit of a sigh of relief, a little bit of like, a, you'd celebrate something that would, normally would have been like getting your kids on the school bus wouldn't have been that big a deal. <laughs> but, but considering the circumstances, it would be, right? Um, and then what we're, but what we're finding as we're trying to identify these little victories is some places might not be going back to school in the fall. Some places might need to continue to homeschool. And so, so there isn't a kind of a singular solution for the brand for how to do this. And what, we've re what we're realizing is it's, gonna be, it's going to require us to be far more nimble and thoughtful for how we do it. And then as well, we have to be able to make these, these creative decisions on the content as late as possible in the cycle for them to, to really be relevant, right? So some of the things like, you know, a television broadcast video or you know, social video, digital video, you might have two or three month lead time from concept to production and hiring directors. And, and what we've realized is that's not going to work. <laughs> so, we, so we have to take some of the learnings of, you know, how we went really fast during the crisis and, and rethink our own ways of, of getting things produced and getting things um, out to our customers that, that that's more kind of in the moment because you, you don't know what's going to happen. You don't know what's going to be relevant when or what, how something's going to twist or turn or if there is a, you know, a recurrence somewhere. So, Michael, does that mean that from a researching standpoint, are you thinking about bringing more stuff internally so that you're more nimble and efficient in creating those, in, in, in making the creative? Well, you know, we have a, very, a real, a quite a robust research team, and it's a combination of tools that we lead in-house. And... Um, and uh, suppliers that help us get, you know, rapid cycle answers. Um, so I think that probably will, the, the ecosystem overall will be in place. Um, part of it too, that we've been, you know, we've, we've experimented with this a lot in our product marketing, but, but, but the brand side is starting to, um, we're starting to apply this as well as, you know, we may have a few different versions of the content that we're producing. We'll run a small experiment in social, five, $10,000, to see which one is actually resonating. And then we'll put the money behind that one. And so it, because it's, it's faster and more accurate to get an in-market test for something like that and lower and maybe lower risk than to try and run it through a traditional approach of, you know, survey and response and, 
reports and so forth. So we're doing a lot of real-time testing in market. That makes sense. And what about the actual making of the creative? How much are you relying on agencies versus internally? Well, a little bit of both. So we, we, we do have an in-house agency at Wells Fargo that has production capacity so, and capability. So we're producing a number of things in-house. And then we've also, because of the traditional, because of the shelter in place um, orders, right, in, in the traditional uh, creative centers like Los Angeles to New York and so forth, we've actually had to do some very creative things like hiring, hiring uh, creative production folks who might actually produce it in their house, right? So we, the, the brand commercial, we just launched a brand commercial a couple of weeks ago, three weeks ago, which is really a high-level brand message about how we're here to help and then pointing out some of the specifics of what we're doing from a philanthropy perspective, from a mortgage forbearance perspective, right? It's not, not dissimilar to what you've seen with other kind of COVID-related advertising, but hopefully, hopefully a little bit unique for us. And the way we produce it is we had three creators in different parts of the country and we gave them pieces of the pieces of the, you know, of the script and of the visual, and then they all produced the content and then we edited it in one place, but we had three different, you know, visual creators that, that ultimately brought it together versus like a singular director and a singular production company. And we were able to, we, we did that in a matter of days. That's pretty crazy. Um, my final question is, has this crisis influenced the way you think about organizing the marketing team? Um, <laughs> Well, not so much, you know, organize, organizing the team, but certainly rethinking how we work and, and to what extent um, can we be crisper on who makes a decision when so that we can move faster and how do you get the right level of input from business partners to make a decision, but ultimately you have to go because if, if, if at the end of the day, you're, you've got to play uh, some sort of uh, diplomatic role where you're incorporating all the feedback into the Treaty of Versailles, like nothing's ever going to happen. And so it's, it's like, okay, we got you, we hear you, but this is what we're going to do. Um, and you got to roll. Um, so it has, has been less about organization, but more about operating principles, right? Um, and then the other thing that we're, we're seeing, you know, which is more broadly for our business and, we're, and the marketing team is getting involved in, this, in, in these conversations is how does the overall customer experience need to evolve from here? It's not as simple as just we'll reopen branches when, you know, shelter in place orders get lifted and, 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 and everything feels safe. Um, a, number of, uh, a number of things that we do right now, much of what we do in our business is digitized already, right? Because that's just the nature of what we do. But there are some things that are, do require a physical presence for maybe reasons of security or risk that you need to go into a branch. And so we're rethinking, like, how could you, how could you achieve those kinds of outcomes for customers in a virtual setting and what kinds of tools and, um, and uh, you know, more in, in standards and so forth would be required because you now we're anticipating that, you know, these kinds of things could happen again um, and, and also just that the nature is kind of the conversation we we're talking about earlier is there may be a bit of an anthropological change in our behavior um, to, to be together and do things in a more virtual way than, than we have in the past. Um, and, and we need to be prepared for that and, and not wait for it to happen to us. Yeah. Yeah. And I think your point around, um, you know, how does the economy completely restructure as a result of this? And what does that mean yes. for a large organization like Wells Fargo is also a, it's a big question. 
Um, Michael, thank you so much for sharing all of that wisdom, all of those insights. I really appreciate it. And thank you for being on. Thank you for having me. Appreciate it. Of course. Rachel, uh, back to you. I think you have the next speaker. Yes. Renata, back for round two. Hey, Renata. Let me take that. Can you hear me? I can. Uh, great to see you again. Nice to see everyone here, too, and I'm happy to be back. Yeah. So two months, I think. I don't know. I was in the second one or the first one. Can't yeah, believe it. It was right, right in the beginning. Yeah, this is round 10, so it could have been two, two and a half months ago, which is crazy. So, Cassie yeah, Johnson, I mean, you continue to remain. So, everyone, uh, Renata is the VP of Marketing at Essie Johnson, and your products, you know, continue to remain so in part of, you know, everyone's global life. I'm curious to hear about what's transpired in your business over the last eight weeks. Yeah, as you said, you know, it's, uh, we, we feel the responsibility of producing nonstop 24-7. Um, we wish we could produce more. We wish we could have more. Um, we, we feel really good that our brands are uh, well-received in consumers' house and can help uh, if either, you know, uh, with the cleaning products kill the virus or with the candles bring a little bit of a, a fresh and a nice scent, but also creating that home atmosphere, or if it's with Ziploc, allowing people to save their food and save the leftover for the next day recipe. So we, we are playing a very, very important role in consumers' house right now, in consumers' lives. We respect that. Uh, we appreciate everything that the consumer is, is giving back to us, and we're trying to give as much back as we can because we, we understand that um, this is a tough moment for everyone um, and, and we're doing everything we can to, to minimize the frustration of consumers when they go to the stores and they can't find the product. Mm -hmm. So when we spoke eight weeks ago, um, and we've obviously spoken in between since, so much of your job has become focused on the immediate and supply chain and not future thinking, like outbound marketing. So I'm, I'm curious, like over the last eight weeks, um, has your focus changed? How have you reorganized your team? Like what are people working on? Yeah, it definitely has changed. When we, when we spoke, it was right in the beginning, right? So um, I guess consumers were running to the stores and they were just, you know, believing and, and trusting every, in, every information that was out there. So they were just loading, right? They were just buying everything and loading because they really didn't know what was going to come and what was going to happen. So uh, right now what we've seen is that con consumer behaviors have shifted and consumers' lives have shifted in senses that we don't think it's going to, to go back to what it was before. So in thinking about the future, we, we are now forecasting, we're planning also a lot based on these new behaviors, right? I mean, there's this, um, consumers are cooking more at home, they are enjoying more their backyards. There's a lot of people investing in, in their backyards and, 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 you know, like in furnitures and jacuzzis and other things, or, you know, just the people that can, of course. But there is this, are new movements out there and we're planning for those new movements. We're developing new products for those new behaviors that we are seeing from consumers. So um, it could be just a bigger candle so they can burn longer outdoor. 
It could just be a bag that uh, allows your food um, to be preserved for longer. It could be uh, a disinfectant that kills faster or wipes that are biodegradable and it dissolves faster. There are a lot of new things that have, um, have come up that allows us to bring new products to the marketplace, but also communicate with the consumers in a different way. Hmm. How fast can you bring a product to market? Yeah, so this has been interesting. I heard the, 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 the previous conversation with Wells Fargo and uh, we didn't think we could do as fast as we've been doing. We've been, um, we've been creating assets as, as he's had at home. Our, you know, we're working with a ton of suppliers that have been amazing. Uh, we are also um, doing everything we can to keep our labs um, uh, safe so our scientists can come back and they can develop products. The factories are up and running so you can test some of those new products. So we are actually bringing to the marketplace the fastest one, and it is really fast for our industry because it's EPA approved. We're launching a new product um, that kills um, the virus uh, in September. So from the day that this all became reality, we're talking about four months. Um, that's going to be the fastest one that's coming to the marketplace. And then we have other ones that are going to launch in, in the January, February timeframe. So we will have things that will take four months, up to 12 months, up to 24 months. It really depends on what we're talking about. But the fastest one in September, you should be able to see that in several stores um, already. So question, like I'm just thinking about your go-to-market around that. Will you be as direct and say it kills COVID or will the messaging be more delicate? S.E. Johnson has opted to be more delicate. You know, we've been, everything we've been doing has been, uh, the, all the messages out there, and, and believe me, we, we, we touched and changed messages on a weekly basis based on new behaviors, and we, we read a lot of what consumers are uh, putting on social media and on the comments on uh, not only ours, uh, uh, feeds and advertising or digital and social, but also our competitors. And it, we, we try to switch according to that behavior. But so we've been always very positive. We want to protect houses and protect families. We want to ensure uh, that you can enjoy your house and you can enjoy um, in, in a safe and, and good spirit. We're never going to come and say, we killed the virus, we, we, you're not going to have it or anything like that. We're here to make it a little bit more, to bring the positive um, and, and, and to give. So, for example, on, on, the, on the Glade business, you know, we talk about escapism. We talk about staycations on the, on the, on the disinfectant business. It's all about protecting your house. So we, we, don't, we don't, like on, on Ziploc, I'm very proud of the work the team has done. In less than two weeks, they have a full um, STEM, like a collection of STEM projects online for, for moms and dads and, and anyone to help little kids. We have a whole collection of recipes with leftovers. So you don't throw that half tomato off. You don't know what to do with that. So it's always on the positive side with the positive attitude of a family company. Hmm. Um, so when, let's think future beyond future product launches. Like I, I know within your organization, based on your fiscal, you're, you're probably thinking about, you know, the upcoming calendar year. How do you think about marketing spend during this time? 
yeah, so we, um, we have opted to invest, continue to invest. Um, as long as we have demand, we want to, and, and we have capacity production, uh, we, we will be investing. We, what we don't want is to invest, advertise, and then frustrate the consumer going to the store and not having the product. Mm-hmm. So for us, um, mental availability and physical availability, they're coming hand in hand and together. And we, the plans for next year, our fiscal year finishes now in June. And our plan for next fiscal year is to continue to invest. We didn't, if anything, we added, we didn't drop any, any, any penny, any cent on our uh, spending. And we want to continue to invest and we want to continue to, to give consumers um, the right messages and the right assets. And if, when possible, um, even uh, giving them some content that um, helps them fulfill maybe this empty space and this empty time in their lives. So, mm-hmm. And from a team standpoint, how has the culture evolved over the last eight weeks? Ups and downs. I'm sure all the other presenters probably said the same, right? I mean, it's we. I think it's not the culture is we are in all this together. So, S.C. Johnson, because of our role, we um, we've been not just selling, but we've been donating and we've been uh, trying to help as much as we can with our products. So we're very proud of the Johnson family. We're very proud of S.C. Johnson. We're very proud of our employees. We had people knocking at our doors at our factories to ask us if they could come to work. You know, retirees, people that had left SEJ, everyone wanted to help and everyone wanted to come to work and, and, and product, produce products. Um, I guess what, what is tough is, of course, you know, like working away from each other and we don't know for how long, right? Um, it, you do lose a lot of the, the human touch. Um, and, and we all miss that. Marketing is about humanity. Marketing is about um, touching, contacting, uh, you know, seeing people and, and seeing reactions. And not seeing that, not having that, of course, brings ups and downs uh, to, to everyone. So we're trying to do, we, we have several things we do during the week. We have yoga classes. We have uh, SC Johnson Experience um, to try to bring some fun. We have trivia. It's actually happening right now. Right now there's a trivia happening. Um, so we were still trying to keep it and to keep people integrated. The, 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 the young marketers are doing some very fun videos. TikTok is booming. Our brands are super strong on TikTok right now. So that's keeping us, um, keeping the fun. Um, and so, yeah, but I would say it's ups and downs, right? I mean, we, we have good days and we have tough days. Well, I thank you for joining us for round two. Um, we're so appreciative and uh, hopefully you can get back to trivia or stay with us. It's up to you. I'll stay here. I'm not so good on trivia. You know, I always lose. I'll stay here a little bit with you guys. <laughs> nice. Uh, well, thank you. Anda. Yes. Uh, I think we are doing the next one together. Yeah, let's do it. Our friend Carla. Carla, are you in the house? Hold on. Hold on. I am. There we go. Hi. Hi, Carla. Hi, ladies. You look great. Thank you. You do too. Are you close to us here in the Hamptons? I am. Great. Well, at some point, whenever it's safe, we need to grab a drink together. Yeah, I, I love that. A socially distanced drink. Yeah, exactly. I would love um, that. So, Carla, I'm, I'll kick it off. I just want to know, how have things been on the city side since we last talked? 
I know there was a lot of change going on. Um, we also heard from Jen. She talked a little bit about Project New Day and how you're kind of using that as the framework for everything to come. Um, how have you advanced your ideas and projects around that? Yeah, well, first of all, you guys, I'm glad to be back for round two. Um, and to, to sort of help close this out, I am going to apologize if you hear um, any kind of music behind me. I don't know if you do, but if you do, it's my daughter is in her 530 uh, dance class. So I can't I can't turn it off. Um, but anyway, <laughs> as much as I might like to um, lot, lots of stuff going on. I mean, you heard from me, you heard from Jen uh, and now back again from me. And um Look, I think what we're looking at right now is how do we uh, start to uh, how do we start to pivot out of um, out of the sort of you know COVID madness and think about what comes next. And I think you know, Rachel, you said something the last time we were here that we had not yet seen on our end, but it was because it was still kind of early on. But this idea that consumers were kind of pivoting a little bit from this notion of like, yeah, I'm glad that you're saying thank you to me, but like, what's the utility that you're giving me? What, what are you doing? And utility coming in many different forms. And so since then, we've really been trying to figure out what does utility mean for us? And in some cases, that means offers, it means relief on, you know, mortgages, it means, uh, you know, small business loans, it means, um, offers for, for consumers. And sometimes utility means what are you doing in our community? Um, and tell us how you're actually impacting the community that I live in. And how do you impact it beyond just CSR? But how do you do it in ways that actually impact people's livelihoods? And so we are, you know, we, we continue to, to do things COVID related, we continue to tell the stories of the work we're doing, we continue obviously to offer consumers, um, all the all the, the the offers that you know that they need we continue to work with our clients on the institutional side very differently but we are definitely looking right now with an eye towards the future i think that you know and what does that look like you know what does that look like even and that's what the thing that, that jen was talking about is a project that we literally you know started uh just a couple of weeks ago because we had been pivoting and thinking about you know this really important time particularly for banks in the end of the year with the elections and all that. We had been thinking about all of that. How do we, what, what do we look like? What do we sound like? Da, da, da. And then all of a sudden, boom. And now we've really got to think even beyond that. What do, what do consumers want? Um, and what do our, what does our target want? And how do we show up when we are, you know, in this new normal? So we, we, we are hybriding. We're doing a little bit of both right now. When we saw you last, you talked a lot about engaging with the employees because there yeah. were, tens of thousands. I can't even remember the exact number. 200,000. 200,000. So, I mean, in terms of employee engagement and morale, now that we're 10 weeks into all of this, what are you seeing? Yeah, I would tell you that that's probably the um, hardest and I think yet most important thing that any of us have to do, whether you've got 200,000 employees like we do, or whether you've got 100 employees, I think uh, because everybody is reacting to this pandemic very differently. So we all talk about, you know, we're all kind of in this together. Well, the reality is we're not all in it together. We're all, we're all experiencing a pandemic, but we're all experiencing it in our own different ways. And, you know, for me, I have to apologize to you that I've got a dog sitting over here and I've got a husband working in the other room and there's a guy outside doing something to the landscaping of this rental home. And then my kid is out, you know, but then there's other people who have 
totally different issues. And their issues are, you know what, I'm sitting in an 800 square foot studio in Brooklyn by myself. I haven't seen a soul in 10 weeks. And you know what, that's also, you know, that's an issue that they're going through. So we're all dealing with things in very different ways. And I couldn't be more uh, grateful to City that we have the resources that we have, everything from, you know, whether it's, you know, making sure that our our employees have access to, like we're talking about well-being as everybody else is, but we have access to whether it's, you know, you want to go talk to somebody very confidentially about what you're going through kind of emotionally. We also have... um, free online uh, gym services that people get to, you know, so again, if you can't, if you can't afford to, you know, to, to, to be a part of some other app or whatever, we're giving people those options. We're helping people um, figure out how to, how to manage, like trying to still have a community and build a culture within your teams when you're on zoom or even worse when you're just on the phone. So there's a lot of stuff that's going on at city. And for me personally, if I can take it to, a more personal um, place, I have instituted, uh, interestingly enough, in the world of what we've learned, right? I instituted this thing where I thought it was so awesome and we were going to have like my entire team every Wednesday, happy hour, 4 p.m. It wasn't going to be after work. It was going to be during work. So people didn't feel like, you know, that they had to, you know, come to something when they had family time or their own time. And we were going to have fun. Like we were going to have fun, damn it. And, you know, you know, four or five weeks into it, I had someone on my leadership team was, you know, brave enough to say to me, hey, you know, I mean, maybe they shouldn't be every week or maybe they shouldn't be an hour long or, you know, maybe, you know, like maybe we're forcing people to have fun here a little bit. And so it was really interesting because yesterday, uh, what's today, Thursday, yesterday we had our other weekly one. And I did a poll and I was like, I'm hearing from, you know, rumblings here and there. And, you know, and I got such rich information and insight from the team as to what they wanted that Wednesday meeting to be. It's now going from an hour to 45 minutes. It's now going from weekly to biweekly. And they have taken over the agenda, right? Because it's what they want. And so I think that as we think about culture and as we think about people, um, it's so important that we listen to them. And even the best intentions are actually sometimes not, you know, not the, the, the impact they have is not what you intend. So I think uh, lo- lots of learning <laughs> in the last many weeks. The, the last question for you, I really want to hear, I've always admired you as a human, and I really want to hear how have you been surviving this as a human, like personally? Because I don't think we ask, we, we keep asking like, how are you doing? How are you serving your team? Are you serving your customers? How are you dealing with the rest of the leadership team? How are you surviving it yourself? Well, thank you for the question. I will tell you some days better than others. Um, so I actually did have coronavirus. I was sick for um, for 10 days. I, I got my, I didn't get tested at the time because no one would test me, it was early on. But I did get the, uh, the um, what's that other test? The antibody test and it tested positive. And I was, I had pretty much every symptom there, there was. So the first kind of, I would tell you 10 days of this whole um, thing and being locked down was really me being in isolation and it was, very lonely. In fact, I would tell you I was in isolation for 21 days. Um, so in, in in my room in the city, you know, daughter, you know, my husband was on the West Coast at the time for a little bit of it. 
and our daughter had to take care of herself. I mean, I sent everybody home and then we got this little dog. I mean, it was just, it was really, really hard. Um, but I will tell you what that kind of helped me um, figure out is how grateful I was actually to be um, healthy again after it. And I will, t- and I was very, very afraid because we just didn't know what was going on. I was very afraid. But I will tell you, and I know we're about to run out of time, I will tell you one of the things that it has really done for me is, and the way that I'm coping is every single night, and I wasn't like this before, every single night, I, I uh, say out loud, I don't write it down, but I say out loud what I'm grateful for, for that day, just that day. <clears throat> and some days it's hard because it was a rough day or a, you know, like a very emotional day or whatever. So, but gratefulness um, and what I'm grateful for every single day, I say one thing. The other thing is I've taken to walking. So as much as those of you who know me know that I hate having a dog and I know it's hard to say because my husband's a CMO of Petco, um, but I, I love a dog. I love dogs. I just hate taking care of a dog. Does that make sense? Does that make sense to everybody? I hope oh, I feel about children. So I get it. I mean, I love the dog. Like he's sitting right here. He won't leave my side, but like, I just don't like taking care of a puppy. But anyway, um, he's awesome. But, um, but he's forced me to walk. And so every day I walk three and a half to five miles and I clear my head. I don't, it's not that I don't think about work, but I actually like clear my head. And the last thing I'd say is puzzles, puzzles. Anyone who follows me on social media knows that I've been really taking up puzzles. It is the only thing in the world for me that takes my mind off of everything else like it you could you could be like running around me in circles and if i'm doing the puzzle i don't even notice so um but i will tell you the days are the days you know the days are long but the weeks are moving quickly and um and not every day is a good day not every day is a good day and i think you just have to allow yourself to have a really shit day once in a while it's okay like you just have to be okay with that we're not perfect and, you know, we, we just have to be okay with that and just call a timeout when we need a timeout. Take a day when you need a day. Say you're not going to do a video Zoom when you don't feel like, you know, that you're up for a video, but take a call instead. Like, we've got to take care of ourselves. We're in this for the long haul. But uh, that's how I'm trying. Yeah. Well, thank you so much, Carla. That was really great advice. I love that. That was awesome. I think the coolest thing of this whole experience is how humanizing it has been of, you know, all these marketing leaders that we admire. Uh, We've gotten to know them in intimate ways that probably we wouldn't have otherwise. Um, It's clearly consistent, right? Consumer behavior has changed. It's forced companies to accelerate things that they once considered innovation. Now it's table stakes. There's an enormous amount of empathy that we all have to bring to work every day because we just literally don't understand what's going on in people's lives. Uh, and the nature of work is forever changed. I mean, that's what I took away from today. Yeah, I think this is uh, this crisis represents an opportunity for certain brands to completely restart, um, to reset, for other brands to really come to life because they had already created their brand purpose and have the right technology in place to really do that. Um, and for other brands to take a step back. And I guess what's been interesting to hear is that um, there's really no right way to handle a crisis. It really does depend on your industry, um, on your people, on the way you want to treat your people. But it's been really inspiring to have everyone come together every week. So grateful for the audience who's been paying attention and listening and sending questions. And finally, just know that Rachel and I are coming back in a bigger, better, stronger format. I'm not going to say exactly what it is, but I'm going to tease it and say that you're going to get an email about it soon. So excited for us to come together again soon, Rachel. 
And until then, hope to see you in person around here. I know. Well, thank you, everyone. We're so internally grateful for your attention um, and encouraging us to do this for 10 weeks. And you will hear from us soon. And with that, go have a cocktail or not. (laughs) Thank you. Bye. Thank you for listening to our final Notch and McMack Roundtable. We really hope you enjoyed the series and are staying safe and healthy. Notch continues to offer our services free of charge for coronavirus-related communications. For more information, please visit us at notch.com COVID. And if you liked this series or have ideas for future guests or topics, please let us know by emailing onda at prosandcontent.co. See you next time on Pros and Content.